Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic. Uh, we're excited to bring in our episode tonight. It's one we've been kind of planning for several weeks uh, following uh, the recent hurricane that struck uh, the Louisiana uh, coast. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, in more detail here coming up. But before we get to that, we have to get to Sam Bradley, my co-host, who is the one that, that makes sure we get all this stuff done and bring all these amazing guests on here. So, uh, Sam, we're, we we think you just you, you make the show what it is. Yeah, that's the fun part, because there certainly is never a shortage of disasters and hopefully never shortages of guests on those disasters. But I'm sitting here enjoying the fall weather here in Colorado. Um, our weather people don't seem to think there's too much going on because they're off for another week gallivanting about. How are things in uh, Memphis there, Dr. Joe? Uh, well, it's been quite lovely here the last few days. Uh, things have uh, settled down a bit. COVID numbers are down a little. So, uh, you know, things feel a little less crazy than they did before. Well, good. They seem to be getting better in Louisiana, too, from my perspective and what I'm doing. So we have two guests tonight that are going to reflect on uh, Hurricane Ida. And the reason it took us a few weeks to get them was because things just kept happening down there. In the middle of the COVID response, we had that little hurricane that wreaked some havoc. And we had two people involved. And we don't talk a lot about the different people involved in managing a disaster. So that's kind of where we're going tonight. And both of them have a rather different perspective on what they were doing. We have Tim Connolly, which uh, uh, has been on with us before, and Chris Hector with the state of Louisiana. So Chris, why don't you start and tell us about what it is you do? Okay, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate um, being involved. Uh, again, I apologize. It's taken a little bit to get on the show. Um, my name is Chris Hector. I'm the administrative director for the Louisiana Emergency Response Network. We're a department under the uh, Louisiana Department of Health. Uh, on a daily basis, we help um, work with hospitals and EMS in managing the trauma network for the state. We have a communication center that routes trauma, stroke, STEMI, burn and mass casualty patients uh, to correct facilities throughout the state based on needs and the type of facility services that are available at, at uh, real time. We have uh, information that the hospitals share with us so we can make sure and get the right patient to the right place. So during the disaster, um, we kind of take a different role. Some of my staff and I help manage the EMS Tactical Operations Center where we manage EMS assets that come in either within the state or um, by federal EMAC or from FEMA through the federal uh, ambulance contract. And we help sort of decide where the needs are throughout the state based on the affected areas and uh, maybe hospital issues or 911 shortages. And of course, you know, during COVID, um, we we actually had some federal ambulances that we were managing prior to the storm coming, just um, trying to help with local 911 services and, and keeping them up with the between the paramedic shortage and the COVID and how it's affected all our uh, healthcare systems. Yeah, we've been talking about that because you guys have just been getting hit with one disaster after another. 
Um, so we certainly want to talk about all of that. Um, Dr. Joe has been very involved in COVID research right from the beginning and has kept us apprised of, of what's going on in the larger COVID physician community. So we definitely want to hear about that. Tim Conley, you're one of those people that does 101,000 things. So why don't you tell us about those? <laughs> well, for this hat, um, for this response, I'm the mission leader for response systems. And we have a partnership with Chris and uh, um, Learn to help staff during the staff to talk during activations. So we provide staff. For this one, I served as planning section chief under Chris. Um, and together we put a team together that I think did a fairly good job. Well, I hope so. So explain what response system is because you and I both work for them now. They're an NGO, right? Yeah. Response Systems is a, it's a private company actually that provides um, staff during disasters, whether it's healthcare staff, in this case, emergency management type staff, to reinforce existing structures or to stand back structures, take pressure off, you know, the response community of the affected area so they can heal, take care of their staff, and work on the recovery process. Right, and they still have uh, a COVID role down there in Louisiana as we speak, even though it's fortunately winding down some. So you're also a firefighter paramedic, and uh, we're both involved yeah. with the uh, IDMC. Yeah, I have a couple of different hats on that. The emergency management coordinator for Glenside Fire Department. I also work as a firefighter paramedic. Then I'm the chief of operations for the Interstate Disaster Medical Cooperative, which I've talked on this show about before. And then I work part-time for Missouri State Emergency Management as a planning section. Yeah, I told you he was a man of many roles. Okay, um, Chris, let's go back. Well, let's start with talking about the COVID response. And, and what was your role in that? And kind of, you've been working on that a couple of years now, I expect. Yeah, we have um, a lot of the role that I've played has been more supportive for the COVID response. Um, so with our communication center, we route pre-hospital patients to facilities, but we also do transfers from hospital to hospital. And, and we kind of have jumped in, even COVID doesn't fall within our normal wheelhouse. We've jumped in and helped support the hospital system and moving patients and sort of guiding the movement of patients even from the pre-hospital setting based on uh, bed availability because, unfortunately, in Louisiana, uh, it's been a struggle the past few years uh, between, you know, vents and staffing issues. And then now just with the new uh, Delta variant, we had such an uptick in COVID cases and hospitalizations that bed availability for all uh, types of medical and, and traumatic uh, problems was a uh, scarce. Uh, we have had to transfer patients clean across the state. Um, unfortunately, we've had to transfer patients out of state. And then we had delays in getting patients to the correct facilities uh, due to just the overwhelming um, amount of COVID patients and we've had burn centers that have had to um, reduce their available burn beds because of the, um, you know, they can, a lot of them can uh, turn a burn bed into an ICU bed and use some of that same staff. 
and unfortunately they've had to fill some of those beds with COVID patients. So it's definitely been a challenge. Um, and then on the EMS tactical operations center side, we did bring in uh, roughly 50 ambulances to assist various uh, EMS agencies throughout the state with their staffing issues, with having uh, staff, you know, just a typical paramedic shortage on top of the fact that a lot of their staff was out due to COVID. Their call volumes were increased due to COVID. Some of their response times as well as transport times were increased due to COVID uh, because they had to go to different facilities um, during this crisis. And then probably um, for the services that do transfers, they were tied up with uh, more transfers and longer transfers during this crisis. And then, of course, Hurricane Ida comes along, and we're going to talk about that. Joe, does all this sound familiar? Yes, it does. It sounds very, uh, very familiar and very much in my wheelhouse as well. So uh, nice to have a fellow uh, uh, rider on the on the podcast tonight. Yeah. So how, in Tennessee, are things going up or down with COVID? We are actually improving over the last couple of weeks. Our numbers are dropping, uh, including our pediatric numbers. So, uh, but but the the rate of decrease is slowing. So I don't know if we're going to sort of reach a new plateau level here pretty soon. And obviously, the big concern is: is there another surge in our future, or maybe we're done with this for a while? Uh, what do you think? You're the expert. Uh, I think it's a really tough call. Um, the there don't seem to be many new significant variants out there uh, that sound really frightening, like Delta did. Uh, there's a couple of new ones, but they haven't taken off much. Uh, I think with increasing uh, mandates, for lack of a better word, around vaccination and that sort of stuff, that um, well, I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe this thing will smolder along for another few months and then begin to fade away. Yeah, we can only hope. So, Chris, are things, well, it sounds like things are still pretty dicey in Louisiana. Is that because of the Delta variant? So the COVID numbers have actually decreased um, a pretty good decline the last several weeks. Uh, we still have sort of a low percentage of vaccinated um, residents in the state. Um, it's climbing a little bit as we go. I think um, as COVID is decreasing, you know, of course, we had Ida pop up and then we had several facilities in the southern part of Louisiana that were damaged. And so as we saw maybe some increased beds and capacity throughout the state because of the decline in COVID, we suddenly filled those up with patients that had to be evacuated and or moved out of the regions that were affected in, in those areas where the hospitals had a lot of uh, structural damage from the hurricane. So we kind of traded one for the other. So it seems. Jamie, thoughts? Yeah, I'm curious, Chris and, and Tim as well. Um, you know, we talked a lot on this show over the course of the last 
20 months or so about the challenges of managing a disaster during a disaster. You know, having the pandemic running and smoldering in the background, which has caused stress to a system, and then bringing in another disaster event like a hurricane that causes additional stress to the system. Can you talk a little bit about the management challenges that you all faced in um, taking a, a system already under strain and adapting to uh, um, a new situation? Yeah, you know, it, like you mentioned, it, it's definitely we have those times when we'll have a disaster within a disaster, but they're short lived, you know, as you all I'm sure have experienced and are aware of, you know, we're used to dealing with a small uh, mass casualty type incident. Um, sometimes it's a, a normal everyday occurrence in EMS where you have 10 patients in a rural area from an accident. And then we've um, of course managed these larger scale events, but even the the large uh, plant explosion that had 70, 80 people um, within, you know, uh, probably five, six hours, the scene itself was clear. Patients were at facilities um, within a few hours beyond that. We may have transferred patients to higher level facilities if necessary. And, you know, you may go out even a few weeks with patients that are still in hospitals um, due to the injuries they su sustained and, you know, so the event may seem to have lasted a few weeks, but COVID is just, it seems to never end. And just when we thought we were sort of getting a handle on it and things were stabilizing to some degree, we had this Delta variant and introduced uh, just a, a whole new rash of patients. And then having the hurricane um, was was difficult, the timing, because we were still, although we were starting to decline ever so slightly. Uh, the timing of the hurricane was just horrible because our, our hospitals were full. Our EMS system was already being taxed. Um, trying to coordinate with facilities and make sure that, you know, uh, the hospital system stayed open. You know, we stayed open for those traumatic injured patients. We stayed open for those burn patients. We stayed open for stroke and, and you know, heart attack patients and not having to bypass multiple facilities from the pre-hospital setting, you know, when, when time is, is muscle or, or, you know, we're compromising those patients to have to go greater distances. And of course, you know, before a hurricane, when it, when it's coming, uh, you have periods of um, severe weather that precede the hurricane. And of course um, you have several hours, if not days, once the hurricane makes landfall and it sort of slows down and just kind of sits over you and creates a lot of uh, weather issues. So now, you know, air assets are pretty much out of the game and that's probably the time you need them the most because we needed to transport patients further distances. Um, so it's, it's definitely been difficult. We've worked with our hospital partners and EMS partners to try to help keep those key uh, services in different facilities open. And for the most part, um, they did a really good job. The, the hospitals, uh, we have uh, hospital and EMS designated regional coordinators. So Louisiana is divided into nine regions and part of the emergency support function eight, health and, and medical. Uh, we have a designated group of people in every region that help manage on the regional level. 
and they stay in constant communication during any event and, of course, have been in communication very closely throughout COVID. And sometimes they have to step in and help manage how the hospitals are using their beds. And, and especially during the evacuation, we had to find available beds. Um, you know, so you had a, one hospital has to evacuate. and Maybe they have, you know, 50 to 100 patients and they have to scatter them across the state because no one other facility had that sort of capacity to take all of them on. And then we have a lot of rural areas in Louisiana and a lot of rural facilities that have limited capabilities. So now you're you're talking about transferring, you know, critically injured ICU type patients. Um, sometimes, you know, just to get them out of the the uh, path of the storm, they may have to go to a smaller rural community facility and hopefully they can, you know, support that patient long enough to get them to a higher level of care. Um, so, and then during the hurricane, of course, as usual, right, we lose communications. So there was a period of time where we, we had no real visibility. So it, it came with a lot of challenges. Oh, I can, can only imagine. Well, if anybody can pull it together, Louisiana can. You've certainly had the unfortunate experiences in the past. So you mentioned EMAC, which is state agreement with other states for personnel, for EOC members, whatever it may be. Um, what are some of the other state and federal disaster resources that you integrate with when you need them? And how do you get them there? So typically, from uh, our level and perspective, we have a in-state contract with the Louisiana Ambulance Alliance, and they contract with all the EMS providers in the state, and we go to them and we request resources. So, obviously, pre-storm, we have several weeks of planning and discussions and conference calls, and as we watch the storm and decide whether it's going to come here or not or, or you know, listen to the weather briefings, we sort of make um, some preliminary plans. Now, South Louisiana has been hit so many times that our responders and our emergency preparedness partners in those areas sort of have a, a good rhythm to this whole thing, and they have identified patients within their regions that are, you know, maybe uh, medically dependent um, homebound patients, uh, they know they're very familiar with their hospitals, their nursing homes, other medical facilities. So they already have sort of pre-plans on how many ambulances it would take to evacuate the areas, uh, how many paratransit vehicles may be required. They know uh, where, you know, we can do rendezvous points or uh, lily pads to, to evacuate people. So they do a lot of planning year-round. And uh, so once we activate that state contract, um, interestingly enough, we activated it this year, but due to COVID, um, we've had one of the smaller um, responsibilities for the state assets. And, you know, typically we can get anywhere from 70 to 100 ambulances within the state to respond to the, the uh, hurricane. This year, we were only, only able to get 26. So... If we can't get the necessary resources for the type or level of response, we activate the federal contract through FEMA. And of course, we can request, I uh, believe technically we can request upwards of 600 
Um, I've never seen us get that many. And in fact, this year we requested somewhere around, um, I think, 350 uh, initially, and it took us a good while, but we eventually got up to about 270. And then most of them um, we've had to demobilize in the last several weeks just because there's a national shortage and there are obviously other incidents across the country. And then we also, like we mentioned, we can do an EMAC. Um, We did put out an EMAC. We did not activate it, this particular response, because we were eventually able to get enough federal assets that that it was no longer necessary. But, um, you know, we'll put out an EMAC for whatever the needs are. And I know from the hospital system, we have medics that have been activated. We have additional nursing staff. Um, We've had DMAT teams come in and help some of the affected areas where the hospitals were damaged. And then, of course, uh, for myself, uh, we also activate uh, people like Tim with the RSI contract for staffing. So our goal is to get those guys that are specialized in emergency management and uh, sort of like Tim and his team, and, and we get them in there to help us manage the disaster because it's not something we do every day. So we try to bring in the experts you know, you you certainly need the the bodies that know what they're doing too. Um, Tim, what? How do you get? Well, you get deployed through the state through Chris's people, and you were in planning. What what kind of things did you do? So Ida? we get activated. Yeah, so Chris requests the to Louisiana State to activate us. They obviously put a team together and respond. Um, and I've worked with Chris, I'd say, what, probably five deployments now, Chris? Something like that. Um, yeah. Maybe. So Chris and I have worked many uh, many events together, so we kind of developed the rhythm um, after working together for years. But for the last few, I've been the planning section chief for him. Um, and if you're familiar with NAMS, planning section chief obviously just kind of keeps the command and general staff running, does incident planning, um, you know, briefings, making sure that, you know, we're looking into the future, those sort of things. And if you ask anybody when I'm there, I'll tell you 80% of my job is to make sure that we're going the direction the top commander or Chris in this case wants to go. That makes sense. Well, that's that's the role I'm working in right now. Um, I had a question for Dr. Joe, and now I have to remember what it was. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention, Chris, that, you know, you talked about FEMA assets, and I'm a D-matter, and Dr. Joe is a, a, a USAR doc. Um, Joe, what are some of the Louisiana deployments you've been on? Uh, gosh, uh, probably too numerous to remember, honestly. Um uh, a multitude of hurricanes going uh, way back before Katrina. Um, was down there uh, uh, just in the last year or so for uh, whatever hurricane that was that hit, Bravo or Delta or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> there was a multitude of them. Indeed it is. So, you know, Louisiana does a great job. Uh, obviously, practice makes perfect. And I, I think, you know, a lot of what I have seen is that States that are unfortunately uh, prone to these terrible weather events uh, get very, very good at managing all those issues, and they become a great 
Um, they become experts and they uh, are great places to be deployed, not only from the standpoint of uh, engagement and, uh, you know, how it all functions. It just it goes like a well-oiled machine. But there's such a great opportunity there for um, training and that sort of stuff that, you know, many other places just simply can't offer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the Wayback Machine. And Chris, I don't know if you were even born yet, much less on your role, but my <laughs> my first deployment ever was, I think, 1986-ish, Hurricane Juan that hit the very lowest part of Louisiana down in the bayou. And the problem is the storm came in, it went out, it gathered steam, it came back in. And like Katrina, the levees went down and, and areas were flooded that had never been flooded like that before. And at the time, I was working for Red Cross, just before I knew what DMAT was. And uh, it, it was quite an interesting experience down there with the folks who don't generally accept outsiders. But once they knew what they were there, we were there to do, it, it changed everything. And talk about getting some really good down-home Creole food. <laughs> they fed us were down there. You know that one, Chris? You remember that one? So I'm familiar with it, but uh, and I was alive. I was, it was, wasn't before <laughs> my, okay. me being born, but I was young, so uh, I do remember a little bit. But um, fortunately, that was before my days of managing this kind of stuff. Well, for a first deployment, it was pretty trippy because we heard stories about gators floating around in people's backyards and in caskets coming up out of the ground. And there's a story about grandma landing on somebody's, you know, the, the relative's front porch and all kinds of things, most of which were probably not true, but it was quite an experience. Um, so, Jamie, any thoughts from you on that? Well, Not I think it was alligators. But. No, it was something that um, Joe touched on, and I I wanted to kind of delve into it fr from Chris and Tim's side of things. Um, you know that that places that get a lot of these situations that come up on a regular basis really come in fall into a routine. And I think Tim mentioned that, you know, the two of you had a sort of rhythm when things got activated and you started working together for another response that that rhythm was already in place. Joe talked about it as well uh, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, federal resources coming in and, and being able to uh, intermesh very well with these states and areas because of the, the prior experience. So, uh, you know, Chris, what are some of the lessons you've learned over the years um, that, you know, some areas or some emergency managers and other places that don't see major disasters all that frequently um, might, might want to keep in the back of their mind? Well, I like, I like, you know, the points that you brought up, um, even though, from the outside perspective, I'd imagine, because, you know, just in conversations I've had with people that aren't from here or, you know, maybe live in other parts of the country, you know, we have hurricanes frequently, unfortunately, but um, at the same time, you you typically have at least a year, right? And then sometimes you may go a couple years between storms. And even when we have storms back to back, 
Um, it's kind of like any other incident. You think you've seen it before, you think you've done it before, but that's not always the case. Uh, I, I try to approach every disaster with an open mind and nothing really surprises me anymore because I know that there's going to be certain challenges that are unique to that storm, unique to that response, um, just in, you know, the damages. And then now we, we add in COVID and, and such. One thing that has helped me tremendously, and Tim touched on this, that, you know, working with the same people, you develop a rapport, you develop a level of trust, um, you know, we have a lot of responsibility during a storm. <clears throat> and just like with anyone, you know, we work a lot of crazy hours and we, we're we faced with a lot of unique challenges uh, every day. So putting together the right team is important. Um, you know, I can't guarantee that every time a disaster happens, I'm going to get the same group of folks. But it, it definitely helps when you have people that have the right skill set. Um, I'm a paramedic. I've been one for... Uh, a long time <laughs> and uh, getting the right group. Uh, I've, I've managed incidents since Katrina and during Katrina and having the right group around you. I don't necessarily need another paramedic always. I need someone that has a perspective that maybe I don't have, um, has seen some things that maybe I haven't. Um, so seeing and having people that can, can come in and give new ideas and new thoughts and perspectives to the response is is always uh, welcoming for me, um, and and like y'all mentioned, having you know been deployed multiple times to Louisiana, uh, you know it there probably was some times where people had some anxiety about you know an outsider coming in, but typically we were very welcoming of it, and even though maybe you've never managed a hurricane. I've, I've met people and worked with people that have given me a perspective that, uh, you know, some idea they had managing a different type of incident. But at that time, it was very appropriate to what we were doing. And it, it helped me. And it I, I'm one of those people that believe I can learn something from everyone I can learn every day. So I'm always looking for a new idea or a, a new way to see something so that hopefully I'm doing a little bit better job than I did the day before. So. Well, that's yeah, a great, just, great outlook, Tim. Yeah, just to pile on a little bit what Chris said, you know, Chris and I work together on several different ones, and some of the stuff is the same, but each time we've deployed, because of something different about the event, I think of Lou Stringer that say you've seen one hurricane, you see one hurricane. They're all a little bit different, right? Each event, how we track or how we document or something has to have changed because something that didn't occur in a previous event. And one of the things Chris is really good at is just stopping for a minute and going, well, that's never happened before. What do you guys think? And talking it out in the command staff and adjusting the system to meet the new event. So I think one of the big lessons learned is while some stuff you're going to keep, you can't just assume it's going to work on the next event. We track this one a lot different than we track previous events because, as Chris said, we had less state and more federal. So that changed a lot of the face of how the attack or tactical operations center looked. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Definitely, definitely. Well, I think Katrina was the real deal breaker on, you know, things that have never happened before. And that's why it became such a mess, because a lot of people thought, well, I've ridden these hurricanes out before. I could do it again. 
And this was a whole different banana right there. So, you know, there certainly were lessons learned from there. So we're going to wind down a bit, but I was going to say, Chris, you don't have to ever worry about having a deployment that, that Tim won't be the first one out the door. So um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he loves this stuff. Right, Tim? Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, Dr. Joe, any, uh, any final thoughts from you? He's trying to find a mute wow. button again. Getting out that mute button. That's crazy. My phone is not responding. Anyway, uh, sorry. Um, uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I just sort of go back to uh, those that practice it a lot get very good at it. And to me, it really stresses the incredible value of training and preparation and then exercising that training so that you're ready for uh, whatever's coming your way. Exactly. And in, in situations like this, when you're using so many different agencies from so many different places, it's hard to really do that kind of exercising ahead of time. So it really helps that you have some of those same folks that are kind of, like you said, in the rhythm um, working with you. Any uh, final thoughts from you, Tim? No, I just appreciate you guys letting me be on again. And it's always a pleasure to work with Chris. I can well imagine. Chris, any uh, words to the wise as we wrap up here? Oh, I don't know. I think uh, I'm still, like I said, I'm still learning. So I appreciate having uh, the opportunity to talk with all of you. And I appreciate the fact that y'all have been here before. And um, hopefully you get to visit the state at some point and eat some of the good food and talk to some people. And maybe I'll get to see you one day and I pray that it's not related to a storm <laughs> and I do appreciate, uh, appreciate Tim as well. Um, he's, he's also a friend as well as a um, valued uh, companion during the storm. So uh, I appreciate y'all just giving me a little bit of your time. Well, we appreciate having your perspective on things because we don't always hear about the wheels turning in the background and how things, especially in EMS get done. So it's really nice to have that perspective. Uh, Jamie. Yeah, and, and I think it's just a, a great episode to talk about training and preparedness and, and, and doing the right types of exercises and planning ahead of time um, to help you be more resilient so that when those unexpected things come up, you've got a basis from which to work from. Um, so, uh Dr. Joe, uh, this is something that you guys at Paragon Medical Education Group really excel at, um, is, is bringing in that experiential training from people who've been through it and then applying that to the educational process for different jurisdictions um, that handle a variety of different problems. Uh, how can folks reach out to you to get a, a look at, at some of the customized opportunities you have available for them? Well, thanks, Jamie. That's exactly right. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's guys like we were talking to tonight that uh, are our instructors, the guys that have done it and know how to do it. So uh, we always look forward to talking to folks so we can plan uh, a training situation that works for them. Uh, they can find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or at um, uh, on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group. And you can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast. Excellent. Um, Sam, where can folks find you? 
Well, you find me on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, uh, certainly on our disaster Facebook our disaster Facebook page, no, our Facebook page for the disaster podcast and disasterpodcast.com. And you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So please friend or follow me there. And of course, disasterpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show and make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Uh, is always a good way to follow up with us. And of course, at our Disaster Podcast Facebook group, just search for Disaster Podcast. There's only one of us out there. Um, so you can come in, um, join the group and join the discussion where we have a lot of our special guests come in and join the group and answer questions after episodes come on. So we hope you'll join us there. Sam, um, good episode. I'm glad you were able to reach out to uh, Tim and Chris, and, and this has been a valuable episode because uh, so much things, so many things get learned during these types of major events. Yeah, I'd like to wrap this just with the thought that you know we hear about the boots on the ground people and how they're you know taking care of business and the USARs and the DMATs, but we don't always hear about the people sitting in an EOC somewhere you know, making sure that all of those things happen as they should. So we appreciate people like Chris and Tim, who are the ones that are doing that, and you never see them. So that's what I have to say about that. <laughs>